Hi, Chef Gordon here. You're listening to Vicki Abelson's Road Taken. Aloha. So, Justin, social media, something about Facebook has allowed me to not only have fun and and go back and forth and, you know, have cute little quips with people, but it's really established very strong, deep relationships. And one of my very first relationships on Facebook was with a guy named Rick Smolke from Addison, Illinois. And I don't know how we connected. All I know is he was seeing what I was doing with women who write at the very beginning. This is when I first started. This is going back eight years ago. And he immediately said, I want to help you. Rick Smolke is a commercial printer. He also does personal printing, you know, from business cards to CD to packaging to signs, calendars. He does all of that stuff. But then I hired him. He did the galleys for my book. He did my bookmarks. He did my signature plates. There, He is my go-to guy. And what I will say about quick impressions is what sets them apart from every other printer is the customer service. They are just the most amazing people. They have graphic artists on there that will help you design your card. Their prices will match any wholesaler on the internet. They'll get it shipped to you. Their prices are the best. The relationship you will have with them is the best. So what I'm going to suggest is if you have anything you need done, whether it's for your, they do, they do professional football teams. They do huge corporations, the printing. They do huge jobs, but they, no job is too small because they're really people. They're people people. They're What's that expression? They're people persons. And so if you have anything you need done, please call Quick Impressions. They're right outside of Chicago, Quick Impressions. And please ask for Rick Smolke and tell him that Vicky sent you. And I promise he's going to take, they are going to take such good care of you and match any price you'll get anywhere. Quick Impressions, Rick Smokey. And you can find them at quickimpressions.com. And that's quick, Q-U-I-K, no C, quickimpressions.com. Save the C for the Rick and ask for Rick. Welcome to Vicki Abelson's broadcast, The Road Taken. Vicki's the creator and host of the renowned celebrity-driven literary salon, Women Who Write, and the author of Amazon bestseller, Don't Jump. Here's Vicki. Hey, Justin, how you doing tonight? Good. How you doing, Vicky? I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. I, I, I want to introduce everybody to uh, my friend DJ Marcuson, who uh, is going to be joining us at On the Road Taken, um, because what happens to people when they are brilliantly talented is they get successful and then they get big gigs. They take another road. And they take <laughs> they take another road. That's right, Wheezy. So Justin, who I adore like crazy, Emmy-winning sound engineer for the Foo Fighters Sonic Highways, um, is getting movies and TV shows and is, isn't going to be with us all the time. Hopefully he'll come back and hopefully um, as we grow, um, we'll be able to offer him more incentive like those damn movie people. <laughs> but in the meanwhile, we're segueing. We're going to segue over to DJ's going to going to be our he's going to be our <laughs> man on the board and uh, going to be producing the show and uh Justin's going to you know kind of give him teach him the ropes of of the deal and and DJ's going to be great DJ DJ by the way um for those of you out there he he's DJ was my assistant like 4 or 5 years ago and um just he can do anything. He DJ is a problem solver. He I have never gone to him with anything that he has not been able to figure. He never says, I don't know. He never says, I can't figure it out. 
If I ask him something, no matter what it is, he will figure out how to do it. So when I went to him, uh, so when I was, when Justin told me he was it's leaving. like a forced education, really. <laughs> well, well, but not everybody can do I that. Have to pay for it. So when Justin told me he was leaving, through my sobbing tears and trying to figure out what the hell I was going to do without him, um, I thought of DJ and I asked DJ if he knew how to work sound and he said, well... Not really. I haven't done it since college. And, and oh, okay. And then I went and like tried to talk to like 15 other people. And I said, no, damn it. DJ can do this. DJ can figure. DJ can have a lesson with Justin, a lesson or two, and do research. And he is going to know how to do this. And it's going to be great to have him around. It's going to be wonderful. Okay, so let's talk about our guest tonight. So Shep Gordon. Um, Mike Myers did this documentary two years ago, um, Supermensch, The Legend of Shep Gordon, and I went to a talk back and, and with Kathy and, and met him for a second, but, you know, I don't know him, but his book, They Call Me Supermensch, came out last week, and, and this book is, is already on the New York Times bestseller list, I'm, with a bullet. I mean, he's, he's extraordinary. So, but what really intrigues me about Shep is that he does what I do except he's done it successfully. Finan now, and I want to put myself down, but he's done it financially successfully, and that's what I have not been able to figure out. I want to pick this man's brain. This is a man who created Alice Cooper. Alice Cooper. He was, Alice Cooper was a, a boy with a little Italian name, and he was wearing a dress, and they, and they together masterminded this whole thing. He, he made Anne Murray a star. That's a whole funny story. He, crea he, he created celebrity chefs, and the whole, he made them rock stars. He created the Food Network. This guy is a frigging genius, and I am so thrilled that we're going to have an opportunity to talk to him. So, Wheezy, DJ, Justin, let's welcome Shep Gordon to the show. Hi, Shep. <laughs> hey, aloha, Vicky. So, Shep, I don't know if you know this, but I actually, we've met in person. Did you know that? No, I didn't. Of course you didn't, because how could you, but, but I, I'm, I'm thinking that if I spark your memory, you're going to remember that I was woman number 42 after the screening of Supermensch, the legend of Shep Gordon, that came up and said hello to you um, at the end of the screening when you did a talk in back. In which city? <laughs> in L.A. And, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. It was you. It was me. But I actually, remember 41 and I remember 43. <laughs> okay. All right. So I was going to say it's really weird for me because I've never done one of these with someone that that I haven't, that I don't know and that isn't a friend. So uh, we, I do, now I'm saying I know you, uh, I've met you, and hopefully after this we will be friends. And that's, yep. that's the goal. All right. Absolutely. So, Shep, I've been very intrigued since I saw the documentary and, and, and got to listen to you speak and everything. And then it turns out, so I get this book this morning and I flip a few pages, and the first thing I see is that you spent your early life in Jackson Heights, Queens. Uh -huh. I, was, I was born there. And I went to high school there. Oh, really? I did. I went to Newtown. I was a bronze girl, but I, I spent some... So did you ever go to the the Ice King of, Cor of Corona? No, I left when I was really young. I left probably in third grade, second grade. Oh, wow. Okay, so you don't remember that neighborhood probably much. don't remember. But all I remember is going back there later on. I remember taking the subway, the elevated line. Wow, yeah. Uh, and lots so of pizzerias with an elevated line. Hell yeah, really good pizza. And so, is there pizza? Yeah. Is there pizza in Maui? Um, there's pizza, but it's not like New York pizza. Yeah, nothing's like New York pizza. Yeah, it's really different. I don't know. It's, it's um, 
I don't know why some regions can just do stuff so amazing. Well, they say it's the water with New York, with the pizza and the bagels, and I, I think there yeah. might be something to that because it's uh-huh. really true. All the bread is really different. And I want to hear about the, the food. I, we're going to talk food. We're definitely going to talk food. Okay, so that this is also weird. My daughter just got off work, and do you know where my daughter works starting this week, Shep? Tell me. My daughter works at Tribeca Grill. Oh, that's now that's wild. Okay, this gets even crazier. So I was just there for the first time oh. in probably twenty-five years. Get out of here! Did you eat? I didn't eat. I had a drink. <laughs> um, I was doing a book signing across the street. Okay, so this is even crazier because you know that bar. It, okay, so for those of you who don't know, like everybody else in the world, Shep is a partner at Tribeca Girl, and the bar that is the in bar Tri- for Maxwell's Plum. And I worked at Maxwell's Plum. Oh, that's really wild. And that's so how you knew Drew from there? I know Drew for 40 years. Drew's one yeah, of my oldest yeah. and closest friends. That's, yeah. oh, that's really wild. And so, yeah. so, <laughs> so, we ha- so we don't have six degrees. We have two degrees all over the place. And the other thing that I read that I loved is that my favorite restaurant in the world is Nobu. And so I was just reading how much you love Nobu. I love so, Nobu. Oh, God. The best he's so, um, <sighs> he's, um He's so unique in so many ways. And mm. You know, a, a lot of people see the outside. For me, when I started with the um, representing the chef, yeah. I had an office on Beverly Boulevard that had a great kitchen and a refrigerator. And I cooked there every day for the guys in the office. And I would have the chefs come over for meetings, and they'd make lunch out of whatever was there. Oh, God. And Nobu's lunches were unbelievable. Really? Do you remember anything like specific? I couldn't wait for Nobu to come. So he'd cook stuff he, other than sushi. He wouldn't make sushi. He'd d- do something. Oh, like- no, no. It was like there'd be nothing there. And he'd make something fantastic out of it. Oh, Mike. Do you remember anything specific? Um, I don't have a clear recollection. That's just of crazy. Any one particular dish, but I remember that it blew everybody away. He, I think he did it three times or so and just blew oh, everybody Mike. away. Did you ever have the ball? And I'm, I, I think I know the answer to this. Have you ever had the balls? Um, for those of you who don't know, Shep represents Emerald and it like, well, you did represent like a hundred chefs and created the whole concept of celebrity chef. And because of you, there's a food network. I mean, this is just huge and crazy, but did you ever cook for one of your chefs? Oh yeah. I cook for all of them. I have, whatever, um, one of the things that I, uh, love, love bringing to the party, so to speak. Yeah. Was the concept of jamming, you know, which was very mm. well accepted in the music world, but wasn't as accepted in the culinary world. Tell, tell me what that means for food. I love that. Um, so, so, you know, I have 12 burners at my house. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, I'd be at the stove with Mr. Verger and Emerald and, oh my maybe God. Sam Choi or another <laughs> chef. Or, and I, I love cooking food. I usually cook for the guys when they come over. Okay, so tell me what what is your what's your best thing? What's the best thing you cook? I wouldn't say I have any one best thing. I'm, I I I um I, I traditional Jewish, very good, which most of the guys haven't had. I um, cook a lot of stuff out of Jamie Oliver's cookbook. Oh. His um his chicken cacciatore. He calls it Hunter's Chicken. Mm. Is incredible. Um, a lot of stuff Mr. Verger taught me. Um, I make I make soups the way he taught me to do it. So I, I have to do a Maui onion and ginger soup that most of the guys like. But I have a pizza oven here and a smoker and a big wok. And wow. I, I enjoy and, cooking. And the Jewish stuff, Who taught? how'd you learn that stuff? Uh, my grandmother made it fantastically well, and then I found her recipes. Mm. 
mm. was. I never cooked until I met Mr. Berger, um, which is in my late 20s, early 30s. Yeah. And uh, until then, I was a macaroni and ketchup guy. <laughs> and um, when I started cooking, I really uh, craved my grandmother's food. That was my that was my link with food. Right. And uh, I found, and uh, when my mother passed away, I found the recipes. Wow. And uh, written out by my mother because my grandmother couldn't read or write. Um, but I thought I'd make her mushroom barley soup. I'd make her chicken soup. Um, mm. I'd do the brisket. Wow. And does it taste the way you remember it? Um, it does. Some cases better. Wow. Because <laughs> the product's better, like brisket. Yeah. Um, the flavors may be not quite my grandmother's, but the quality of the meat's so soft and tender. So where did the passion for food come? Okay, so... You know, it, it, um, it was really a... Pa- I got, I've been really lucky all my life, um, and, and I've taken advantage of situations. And I was, I was in my late 20s, as I remember, and um, I, I was having a great time. I was on top of the world. I was living the, the dream, mm-hmm. um, you know, driving a Rolls Royce, and mm. had married a playmate, and, um, pinky rings, and coke up my nose. And I was very cool. <laughs> and, um, but there was a part of me that knew I was really at risk, mm-hmm. that um, this wasn't going to be a happy ending. And it was turning to an unhappier. Like when I was in college, I was ecstatic every day. Um, the more successful I became, the less, I don't know if content is the word, but something was rubbing me. And then everybody started dying around me. Mm-hmm. Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, um, Jim Morrison, the people who were the most successful. Mm-hmm. And um, so I knew I was at risk, but I had no idea what to grab onto to pull myself out of it. And and the acrimonies were so fantastic. You know, these beautiful women in Hollywood who come and go every day, and beautiful cars, and people telling you you're the greatest guy in the world, and you know, Armani sending you clothes and all that stuff. Jeez. Um, and um, I won the Cannes Film Festival in '77, which added to too much too early. <laughs> yeah. And um, and got taken to um, a restaurant in the south of France. And uh, in the middle of all this noise and chaos and celebrities sweating and smoking cigarettes and, you know, crinking their neck to see who else was in the room, Mm. which I was doing also, (laughs) in walked this beautiful, happy human being, all dressed in white, he had white hair. Everybody sort of turned to him. James Coburn jumped up and grabbed him and hugged him, and Anthony Quinn hugged him, and Pavarotti, and you could see he was... a power figure, but he looked happy. Mm-hmm. It was like, um, almost like a medieval fable, you know, the, the powers of dark against the powers of light. And um, I said, I want to be him. I don't want to take that road. That's the, I want to come into a room smiling and have people smile when they see me. So I waited until everybody left, and I went over to him and um, started a 25, 30-year journey as his grasshopper. That's just and he was gracious enough to allow me in, and he happened to be a chef. So um, the only way I could really communicate with him was to learn his language. I didn't speak French. Mm-hmm. He barely spoke English. Wow. Um, we started traveling together, um, and um, I, I developed a, a 
first a huge appreciation for the artistry, mm-hmm. which I had no knowledge of beforehand. And then secondly, I developed a passion for the, for the art. that I never really had a passion in my life. Music was never a passion. Hmm. Films, I couldn't care if I never saw another movie. Wow. Um, I don't have a stereo at my house. Get out um, of here. <laughs> no, I, was, I have a 12-burner stove. But when I found cooking, uh-huh. I found my calling. for Not so much professionally, but, but um, emotionally and um, life-wise. I found a place to go to where I really was happy. Um, that's a beautiful and, thing. Um, yeah, so that's sort of uh, that. Um, that that was my meeting with Mr. Verge that got me into food and cooking. I love what you said in the book about. Uh, uh, I was kind of moving around there quickly today, but one of the things I I read that really impressed me was the two things that you, that are still important to you. And one, this is another ironic twist between the two of us. Oh, the legalization of marijuana. I, I am I am a marijuana addict myself, and yep, I really too. wish that I would still be smoking and I could smoke with you and Willie because I could smoke with you all night but I don't do that anymore <laughs> I, I had to, I had to stop doing that because it was for me I could I want to talk about how you've been as productive as you have and you've accomplished what you have because I'm uh-huh. I've been sober for 14 years and I haven't even scratched your surface but but so there's that and then the other thing I read that was beautiful was you said that this thing about creating these celebrity chefs and that it's great that they're making all this money but that you still want them to be absurd it's not right that people are sitting inside eating these $200 dishes and there are people outside who are starving and and that's a beautiful thing and um, your dedication to humanity and service um, is uh, very inspiring to me um, uh, I respect it greatly and okay so wait we have to talk about the Dalai Lama for a minute how how the hell did that happen and the, a, a Jewish boy is a Buddhist wait now tell me about this a little bit yeah I'm not, I, I wouldn't say I'm, a, I'm definitely not a Buddhist oh, okay. I, I believe in I mean I love everything I know about him and um, when I'm in the presence of a true Buddhist I always feel beautiful um, or a community, um, Thailand. You know, it's just you go there and you go to these villages that are all Buddhist, and it's just a different approach to life. Um, How did you and, meet the Dalai Lama? So, so the Dalai Lama. So I, I got taken to a speech. I was living with um, with a Hollywood actress. Um, uh-huh. I was dating a Hollywood actress, mm-hmm. and um, I got taken to a speech because she was famous. We got taken backstage. Mm-hmm. It was my first experience. Seeing his holiness, didn't know much about him. I'd become interested in Buddhism on a trip to, to uh, Thailand, but didn't really dive deep. And this was before his holiness was a rock star. Mm-hmm. Um, so he came in the room at the end, we got a chance to meet him. When he walked in the room, it was like the greatest shower I had ever taken in my life. Wow. I don't know, I don't know if you've ever been under a waterfall. But yes, if you get under a waterfall, it's very cold water, and you feel like you're reborn. Mm-hmm. And that's the way I felt when he walked in the room. Wow. And I said, gee, I want more of that. That's good stuff. And I was glowing the whole night. Wow. Couldn't take the smile off my face. But, uh, you know, it was a very quick hello and goodbye and no, no words. So this was, just from his pre- this was just from his presence? Yeah, just from walking in the room. He walked in and he came in. This, I remember very clearly. 
I, we all were looking at one door, and I heard a door in the corner open up, and it was like a double exit door. Mm-hmm. There's no exit, and it opened up, and he came in with a big smile. And just one or two people, he had his robe in his hand. But um, I just felt like I had taken this amazing shower. It's really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I got back to Maui, I saw that he was doing a retreat on the Big Island. Mm-hmm. So I got a hold of the people who had invited us and offered my services. Um, to feed him, because at that point I had started my culinary stuff. Mm-hmm. And they accepted it. So I got to feed him, which was unbelievable. Wow. Um, what would you cook for the Dalai Lama? <laughs> well, I figured that it was all vegetarian. Uh-huh. Um, but I couldn't... I don't know if you've ever dealt with the Tibetan people. They're, they're, they're more worldly now, but particularly in those days, they're so gentle. Uh-huh. They are so aware of your feelings. They would never, ever um, impose on you what you should cook for them. Really? So he would, they would never tell me what to make them. I could not get an answer. He will enjoy anything you make him. Oh. Um, With no restrictions? They didn't tell me anything. Wow. So I assumed he was a vegetarian, mm-hmm. but I did some research because that's what I do. Mm-hmm. And I found out that he stayed at Fred Siegel's house. In the L.A., mm-hmm. I got a hold of Fred Siegel's cook, mm-hmm. who told me he hates vegetables, ah! <laughs> and he only he, like, he eats a big meal at five o'clock in the morning. He likes like beef stew or meatballs and spaghetti. Oh my God, that's crazy! <laughs> and then he eats a light lunch and then nothing after sunset, just some broth. Wow. So anyway, I, I I found out what he wanted, which was great, and I. Um, they said the only thing they said to me was, the only thing we ask is no expectations. Mm-hmm. If you have any expectations that you're going to meet him, mm-hmm. an expectation that you're going to serve him the food, mm-hmm. an expectation of anything, then we really would rather not have you do it. Wow. Um, and um, I said no problem at all. So I really had no expectations. I didn't mm-hmm. think I'd meet him. Mm-hmm. And I put together this. I don't want to toot my own horn, but it was probably the greatest feeding I ever did in my nice. life. I had a uh, an artist friend of mine make plates. At the bottom of every plate had something I knew would bring a smile to his face. The portala where he was raised, picture of his brother, hmm. uh, all these beautiful things. Um, I brought the, the farmers when I could to be outside his window so he could see who grew what he was eating. Mm-hmm. Um, I brought the plants if I could, like we served them chocolate. We brought the cocoa plant, um, gardenias, and every napkin was beautiful. But I never thought I'd see them. And the one thing that I, in my research, found was that yak, <laughs> Y-A-K, was the only thing that they had in the Tibetan culture, culinary culture. Uh-huh. It's an animal that's a cross between a goat and a cow. Right. And they have yak meat, yak butter, oh. yak tea, mm-hmm. yak stew. Yak cheese, everything is yak. <laughs> so I got some. I got a friend of mine to smuggle some in from Tibet, <laughs> and it smelled up my entire house. It was the worst smell. <laughs> but I, that first morning, the breakfast at five o'clock, uh-huh. I had yak tea on the tray. I was so proud of myself. They're like, "You are the coolest guy in the world, Chef. <laughs> you found yak tea. His Holiness is going to be the happiest guy." It's it's like bringing matzo ball soup, and, you know. Um, and I was so proud. And they said, um, time for His Holiness's breakfast. Uh, we'd like you to bring it to him. 
It was like, you're kidding me. I'm going to bring... So I go up there, the tray's rattling. I'm so nervous. The fork is, you know, the, the liquids are spilling over the fork. Is, they put a little cloth over my mouth because you're not supposed to breathe on the food. Wow. And um, so the, by the time you get to the room, it was up about 30 steps. I was a complete neurotic. I was like walking to see Moses. And, um, and I walked in. He was brushing his teeth. He had the bathroom door open. Uh-huh. And his gown was half down, so you could see his chest. Uh-huh. And a big smile on his face, and he said, Oh, breakfast? I said, Yes, Your Holiness. And, uh, oh, good, good, good. And then he started smelling, and I think to myself, Oh, my God, he realized it's yak tea. I'm so proud of what I did. <laughs> and he gets a smile, and he goes, Yak tea? And I said, Yes, Your Holiness. And he says, Oh, that's why I leave Tibet. <laughs> 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 and, and, and I think the, the great thing about the story, not only is it a great story, it was an amazing moment. In my travels with him, which weren't many, but mm-hmm. um, more than, uh, you know, so lucky to have any, that's what he did every time he could feel, whether it was 8,000 people, mm-hmm. one person, mm-hmm. if he could feel the person in front of him was in awe of him, mm-hmm. he would make some joke. You make you feel completely comfortable. Wow, what a gift! Yeah, and I've seen it in you know speeches to twelve thousand people. I've seen it in at the park in New York. I've seen it in wow. Honolulu. I've seen it in Trinidad. Mm-hmm. Um, he always um, takes that out of the air. You know, I I think you have some of that, Shep. Um, from um, as a person who surrounded themselves with celebrity, and now it looks to me like you are walking into your own, rightfully so. Um, and and I, I... Walking into something. <laughs> yeah, well, watch your feet. Well, it, yeah. and, and, you know, and, and that's something, too, we have in common, because I, too, I'm very... Except you did everything successfully, and me not as much, but I'm also very attracted to celebrity. People that have who are living their dream and are passionate about it, that attracts yeah, me, right? right? Those yeah. are the people I want to talk Very to, I want to surround me. Yeah, it's fantastic. And I'm not a star fucker, I'm a star lover. I love yeah. them, right? So, okay, but you, you, Matt, you have, you are my, you are my ideal perfect guest for this show. This show is called The Road Taken, and what it is, is basically celebrity maps to success. How did people do it? How did they manage to live, how are they managing to live their dream and to merge creativity and commerce, which is something you have done for count, for hundreds of celebrities successfully. And so I, I have a bunch of questions for you. One is, did you ever fail? I, I know that you say to your clients, um, you don't, if you, something like, if you want me, you don't want to hear the word no, or tell me what it is. I, I don't yeah, remember. Yeah, I mean, I, I've definitely failed. I mean, I, I failed in relationships that I've had for 45 years, and I failed in, you know, with, with Alice, we had so many failures. Can you tell us what, what you've told, like, count, you know, you t- it's in your book. It's all over the place of how, you know, the thing with the chicken and you're throwing the chicken. But what I want to know is you didn't even really like Alice's music. And, and, and right? And, 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 yeah, that wasn't part of it. That had nothing to do with it. Okay, and you became a manager by mistake. I, I'd like you to tell that story. But what I want you to <laughs> really tell is 
the thinking, the thought process, you did some genius things. Did you plot them? Did you plan them? Did they come to you in the moment? I mean, even up to what you did with Mike Myers, with, with Schools Out, with, with Wayne's World. I mean, you are a very, you're a very smart man. It, it, what is your process? Like, how, does this stuff just come to you in the moment? Do you plan? Tell, tell me how you do it. <laughs> you know, I... I I, I don't really know. I mean, even after writing the book, I can't really. I have a I have a way of looking at the world that started very early in my life. What did you want to be when you grew up? When you were a little kid, did you ever have... had a desire for anything? No, no. Um, live on a beach. Yeah. Um, be a playboy. <laughs> um, those are probably my only two things growing up. Never thought about working or profession. Um, for a while, I thought about being a lawyer because my parents wanted that. Mm-hmm. Um, but never really. Um, everything is sort of, you know, it's sort of. Um, I, even when I look back at it, I, I got very lucky. But everything was sort of. I wake up in the morning mm-hmm. and do what I did. I've never really worked for anybody. Um, I got really lucky when I met Alice, and we were both traveling on, you know, completely lost. And trusted each other. What was the first thing you did for Alice that that you were onto something? What what, what was the fir- what was the the defining was there a defining a moment? Complete there? failure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so tell. So, so we, we uh, I started with Alice. I was a Anthony. I did a, a discussion with Anthony Bourdain mm-hmm. uh, a couple of nights ago on Ninety Second Street Y, and he characterized my early career as a being in pharmaceuticals. <laughs> so I was in pharmaceuticals. Uh, I got really lucky. I, I ended up in an environment that was um, loaded with rock stars. How, how did that happen? Jimi Hendrix. How did you end uh, up there? How'd you get I there? Ended, I, I got a job as a probation officer. It lasted one day. <laughs> got beat up by the kids. Got take, uh, drove into L.A. Always wanted to go to L.A. Uh-huh. And... Um, Went down, got off Highland Avenue off the freeway. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, Highland, it curves around to Franklin. Mm-hmm. You have you have to go to the right at Franklin. I I was trying to get to Hollywood Boulevard or Sunset, but I had to make a right. <laughs> and there was a motel with a vacancy sign. <laughs> and um, it was cheap, like 25 or $28. Mm-hmm. And I checked in. I had maybe $500 and a couple of uh, hits of acid. <laughs> On me. And um, heard a girl screaming at the pool. I'd just come from a jail, so I ran out to separate, thought she was getting raped. And she punched me because she was making love. Um, and um, in the morning, it was Janice Joplin, who was the girl. Yeah. The, but anyway, I, for luckily for me, because being in the pharmaceutical business, when she introduced me to Hendrix and the Chambers Brothers, oh God. All these groups, I said, oh, my God, I have got the greatest clients in the world. <laughs> and um, so they became my client base. And one day they said to me, uh, what else do you do for a living? And I said, I don't really do anything else. Uh, they said, you Jewish? And I said, yeah, so you should be a manager. <laughs> so I became a manager at the front for my pharmaceutical business. <laughs> and um, I paid Alice, I think, $20 a week or $15 a week to say I managed them. You paid him. I love this. Yeah, because <laughs> that was the front. 
and, and then and we decided to do it seriously. So. Okay, so what 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 transitioned it from that to doing it seriously? Everybody in my life started getting arrested, mm. uh, and I didn't want to get arrested, so I knew I had to get out of the business. Mm-hmm. And and as I said, Dallas, I'm Jewish. I'm going to become a millionaire. <laughs> we can do it together. I can do it on my own. Any way you want to do this. Um, and we shook hands and said, let's do it together. Alice was the band at the time. So we sort of fumbled around. Um, we we hit on a way that we thought we could get notoriety. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Let, let's talk about this because you you don't have this background, right? You didn't have a marketing background, did you? You didn't have a... No, not no, at all. Not at all. So, no, actually, a very funny story. I went, so uh, the guy said to me, you got to get a PR company. Mm-hmm. And I went to PR company, public relations. So they introduced me to a lady named Pat Kingsley. Oh, yeah. And uh, I took the guys over to the office. And these are five guys with hair down past their asses, <laughs> wearing dresses in 1968, named <laughs> Alice Cooper. <laughs> to Pat Kingsley, who's the straightest human being put on the planet. <laughs> and uh, she asked said, you mind if they wait in the lobby? And they went out into the lobby, and she said, listen, Chef, um, if you give me one person named Alice Cooper that wears dresses and is a guy, mm-hmm. I might be able to work with that. Five guys with none of their names is Alice Cooper. <laughs> can't work. So I went back in the lobby, and I said, hey, she said, we got to pick one of you to be Alice Cooper. <laughs> so we voted in the lobby, and the lead singer, Vincent, became Alice. <laughs> That's how Alice Cooper became Alice Cooper. So that's how naive we were. Um, and But we, we hit on this thing. We all agreed that um, the thing that all these groups had in common mm-hmm. over the years, Elvis Presley, the Stones, the Beatles, the only thing they really had in common is that parents hated them. <laughs> it was different generations of parents, but that was, so we decided let's get parents to hate us. Easier than making hit records. Wow. Wow. So um, the first stunt that I thought of uh-huh. was um, let's get arrested. The easiest thing, it doesn't cost us any money. Um, let's play naked <laughs> and get arrested for indecent exposure. <laughs> um, so we made up clear plastic clothes and got a show, and they walked in, and everybody was like in shock. There weren't many people, seven or eight people. Uh-huh. And I went and called the police and told them, you know, how disgusting <laughs> this was, naked people. It was on Sunset Boulevard, a club called The Experience. Uh-huh. And the police showed up, and their pants, had fo- everything had fogged up because of the heat from their bodies. Had <laughs> fogged the plastic. So we actually left town the next day. We looked at each other and said, we actually can't get arrested. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, so, so how did it start to, how did you start, how did it happen? How, how, what happened? Uh, we ended up in the... In about four months later, we ended up in Detroit mm-hmm. at an outdoor festival. We got went on uh, after the headliner, Arthur Brown, was headlining. It was the Saginaw Music Festival, as I recall. And um, people started to get up when Alice was playing. We didn't realize that the Hells Angels were pushing up to the back, oh, cool. trying to clear the place. But we got it. Well, we thought it was a standing ovation. <laughs> And we moved into Detroit. And luckily for us, again, we got very lucky because it was the time in Detroit 
when nobody cared about if you did what everybody else did. They cared about the lunatics. They had the Stooges, MC5. Mm-hmm. They were down-home, nasty, gritty rock and roll. Mm-hmm. Um, and Alice was just crazy enough to fit in. So you pushed the crazy. It sounds like you were... Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. We, our goal was to get parents really irritated. And you didn't care about the music. Like, the music wasn't it for you. No, the band did, and they developed into a really good band. They found a producer from Canada. We all found Bob Ezrin, who really focused their music into something impactful. And from what I, I read, um, you then started producing the shows, right? You would... You would... Yeah, I, I would. I help write and produce the shows. And so that this was always is, my fun for me. And so this is something that you realized you had an affinity to, not something you were trained yeah. in either, just something that yeah. you discovered you had a talent for. Well, there wasn't, there wasn't anything. There was no rock and roll shows. Until Alice, there was nothing. Right. Um, it was groups like the Grateful Dead, Jefferson Airplane. You know, they'd come in with a couple of trees of lights and mm-hmm. a stool. There was no act. Nobody was telling a story. Right, it wasn't theater. Right, it wasn't. You yeah. made it, You guys made a theater. But we made a theater, and there were no. There was nobody to go to. We couldn't even. We didn't even. The the people that build the stage and the electricians. We had. A, we got. They were house builders from Fire Island. Because <laughs> it wasn't an industry. Wow. It didn't exist. Wow. So it sounds like you. It sounds like you just always had an open mind and open heart and a lot of talent and a lot of smarts. Um, yeah, can, put in, I put in a lot of hours and didn't really have a life. And, and, okay, uh, so can you, te- can you tell me what a day in the life of Shep Gordon in the height of your career looked like? What, what was that like? I mean, I, I'm so fascinated by you, Shep, because what you, do, what you did, what you do, is I, I have done it without being able to get the commerce part. So I'm, I'm, I want to I know, what, like, what, what was the day yeah, for no, Shep I, Gordon? I, used to, I, I mean, I, I wake up. Mm-hmm. I, there's a line, I would say, and the line is probably 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. So um, not completely different from 20 years ago, but less intense. Um, a, a much a much nicer mix to myself of, of pharmaceuticals. <laughs> uh, so in the really pumping days, mm-hmm. um, I would uh, wake up, have a toot, okay. usually a Bloody Mary, mm-hmm. a joint for sure. <laughs> then I'd go to someplace, a jacuzzi usually, where I'd spend half an hour, 45 minutes figuring out what I had to accomplish that day. Um, go through my priorities of what I had to accomplish. And um, then I would take one by one the challenges, you know, crises in the middle, but one by one, and usually truly smoke a lot of grass and <laughs> try and get in a zone where I could see the future and see what I wanted and then figure out how to create that in a successful way. So, for example... Um, I was managing Teddy Pendergrass and Luther Vandross. Mm-hmm. On paper, it would look like almost the same job <laughs> yeah. for a manager. Yeah. You know, uh-huh. and probably for most managers, it would be almost the same job. Okay. You know, people wanted to book them. They definitely wanted them in halls. Mm-hmm. Um, their records were selling. They were having hits. Mm-hmm. 
everything was going along well. So really easy not to have to do a lot. Mm-hmm. But my job was really how do I how do I how do I define the difference to their audience between Teddy and Luther? Mm-hmm. Because that's going to be the difference between them having a a ten year career and a fifty year career. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do I how do I do that? How do I do that without? So the first step of it is to figure out what is the what in the simplest of terms. What is their attraction to my artist? Why are they spending money? Mm-hmm. And in the case of a Teddy, it was sex. Um, his music always was driven by sex. Mm-hmm. Um, in the case of Luther, it was romance. Mm-hmm. Teddy's music was always, as you're shutting the door, his music's always in the bedroom. Right. <laughs> Luther's music was always in the living room, with the fireplace, and the bedroom. Um, so how do you say that mm-hmm. without saying it? Because once you say it, you lose it. Wow. So what I did for Luther was in the 20 top radio stations across the country, mm-hmm. I, I kept smoking. I said, what would I want? Let's see. We need a record moment. Wait a second. If Luther became known as, if you get married, you have to listen to Luther's record at the wedding. Mm -hmm. That's the pinpoint of the most romantic guy in the world. Mm -hmm. So let me just do it. So I ran these contests, the 20 top stations to get married on the air by Luther. And it became the number one record for the next three or four years of records played at wedding ceremonies. (laughs) For Teddy, Uh I did... For concerts for women only. Mm-hmm. Only let women in. Mm-hmm. Gave them chocolate teddy bear lollipops. Didn't turn the air conditioning on. <laughs> so hot and sweaty. And just let them rock out and throw panties and bras on the stage. Wow. Which is what I, in the jacuzzi smoking 10 joints, thought wouldn't it be perfect if there was a night when only women showed up? Wow. Wow. Whoop, let's just... Do women's concerts for women only. Then only women will show up. Wow. Why wait for it to happen? Is, is there anybody that you worked with that wasn't already, uh, well, Alice, but is there anybody else besides Alice that you took that wasn't a star that you started to plot something for that didn't work? Did anything not work? Um, a lot of things didn't work in the midst of um, careers that worked more than anything else. I would say the, the biggest disappointment maybe, I tried at one point to to get some um, a level of recognition for the great African artists. Mm-hmm. Uh, King Sonny Ade, Magic Fashik, I don't know if these names mean anything to you. Um, Johnny Clegg. Um, and I, didn't, I, didn't, I made little inroads. I didn't really do anything precedent-setting. I would have liked to, uh, but it was hard because they didn't live here and they uh, they didn't really just tough tougher than I thought it would be. So, with the chefs that you then like with Emerald, did you have a plan? Did you what 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 was your what was your motivation for? It was very my, my culinary adventure. It looks on the surface like it's difficult, mm-hmm. 
and everything in life is difficult. But for me, it was, it was. I, I don't want to use the word no-brainer. Yeah. Because uh, that would really be making light of it. Mm-hmm. But here's this, here, I, I owed my life. I felt to Mr. Berger, um, the chef. Wow. Taught me how to be happy. And I traveled with him for 20 years and got to know the, the culinary community. And wait, wait, I want to be clear that I've got this. The way he taught you how to be happy was to be of service to others. Is that, is that what? Yeah, he never, we never even had a conversation about it. I just watched the way he conducted himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, never had a conversation with him or his holiness. I just, you could just see the way, mm-hmm. what, the way he, the way he uh, lived his life. Mm-hmm. I can remember a great moment. Maybe my first or second year of traveling with him, and um, we had always gone to restaurants that he picked, mm-hmm. and we ended up in America. We got canceled out of something. We ended up at a restaurant that neither one of us had picked, mm-hmm. um, but the chef knew immediately when he walked in the restaurant there was a buzz in the restaurant, mm-hmm. and we got the food, and the food was horrible <laughs> to me. So I only ate half the plate. Mm-hmm. And he finished my plate. Wow. And when we walked outside, I said, Chef, did you really think that was good? Mm. And he said, oh, Chef, that was horrible. <laughs> that said he cannot cook. And I said, well, why did you finish my plate? And he said, Chef, you will be standing at the door watching our plates coming back in. Oh. Do you think I want to make his day miserable? Oh, that's beautiful. I love yeah, that. That's, and I... that's the way he went through life. <sighs> And it sounds At every like turn, that's why he was happy. And it sounds like Mr. Supermensch that that's kind of exactly what you've done. You've emulated the same to, yeah. thing. I tried to, yeah. I tried to. And so, okay, so I, I, I we're so now, almost... um, okay, so now, so now I, I, I put on a different set of clothes with Mr. Verger after 20 years. I say to him, uh, Mr. Verger, I'd like to, you know. I, I'm tired of being in the front of the house. Let me do. A, let me come with you and play manager. You know, check mm-hmm. you into the hotel. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll do what I do for my act. I don't want to just take your chair away from dinner and put your jacket on. Cause I really was his grasshopper. <laughs> um, never called him anything but Mr. Verger my whole life with him. Wow. Uh, and um, and I saw how he got treated. I couldn't believe how he got treated. It was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. He didn't get paid. I, I, it was what I had experienced in the music business with black artists and things. Oh, you mean he got treated badly? Oh my God, it was unbelievable. Oh, oh, he, oh. He would. They'd ask for his credit card. Like if, if, if we went. To, the first thing we did was an opening of a Stouffer's in Palm Springs, a million dollar. They called it the million dollar opening. Uh huh. They brought in all their best customers from around the world. Mr. Verge was the centerpiece of it. We check into the hotel and they ask me for his credit card. It's the first time I ever checked him in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, credit card? Uh, no, it's Mr. Verger. He's, this, mm-hmm. he's the reason you're all here today. Oh, no, no, for incidentals. Okay. If they ever ask Luther for a credit card for incidentals mm-hmm. at a hotel mm-hmm. that he's performing at, mm-hmm. they, they'd have to get a new performer that night. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So then I go to his room. I've never been to his room because he always comes to my suite. Okay. It's his... It's the worst room in the hotel. It's this little dinky thing without a window. Mm-hmm. I, I, I was embarrassed to put him in, so I put him in my suite. Mm. He did the event. I said, Mr. Verge, who should I get the check from? He says, what check? 
I said, the check for doing the event. He said, oh, Shep, I would not take money for this. Oh, my God. I said, you, you would not what? And he said, oh, no, no, this is, uh, we have to do this to keep our restaurants busy. <gasps> and I said, Mr. Verger, you don't, your restaurants book three years ahead of time. You don't have, no, 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 Shep, this is what we need to do. Oh, oh okay. So um, then I get the car, mm-hmm. and he's not at the car. And he's always on time. He's down at the pool. He had his own line of wines, Verger Wines. Mm-hmm. He's down at the pool doing a commercial for their wine. I pulled the girl aside. I said, what are you paying him for this? She said, oh, we're not paying him. Oh, my God. But it, so it just kept going on and on. We ended up at a place where they charged $2,500 for the weekend to spend with him. Mm-hmm. And when we wanted to have dinner the next night, they wouldn't let him eat in the restaurant because he was the help. Oh, my God. And they didn't pay him. So, <sighs> anyway, so I get on a plane. I go to... Um, the Big Island. I have Kenny Loggins performing at a corporate event. Mm-hmm. And I run into Wolfgang Puck. Mm-hmm. And I tell him the story of how they treated Verge. Mm-hmm. And he tells me his story, which was worse. Oh, my God. It made Verge's story look like a good story. Mm-hmm. And um, just blew my mind that they all get treated like this. And when the show was over, we had a meet and greet, and Kenny Loggins' line was 30 women, mm-hmm. and Wolfgang's was 200. And Wolf didn't get paid, <laughs> and he got 150000 Holy. So anyway, when I got back to L.A., Wolfgang asked me to come over for lunch about a week later, and all the great chefs of the world were there, and they had a big sign-up said, help. And I started a chef's agency. But for me, it was obvious. What needed, it was so obvious that the man was there. You couldn't get into Spago. You couldn't get into Le Cirque. Mm-hmm. You could buy your way into any football game, any Super Bowl, any... Mm-hmm floor seat at the Lakers, but you couldn't get into Spago. Right. You couldn't buy your way in. There was, mm-hmm. So the demand was there. Mm-hmm. What no one had ever done is treat these guys like artists. And artists have to be able to be touched outside of physically. If, if Michael Jackson, if there, hadn't, if there weren't records and record players and videos and radio stations, Michael Jackson would be a wandering minstrel. These guys were chefs in restaurants only because you couldn't buy their products, you couldn't see their videos, mm-hmm. you couldn't eat their spices. Mm-hmm. And that, that I thought was, I said, I can do that. I can, I can build the highways for you guys to ride down. And so the way you built their business was by, through the marketing their products? Is that, is that how you made them stars? Well, what I did is I, I, was very, I did it all pro bono. I never charged the guys because they didn't make anything. Wow. Um, but I said, I will build the highways for you. Mm-hmm. I can't take you down them, but I'll build them. So mm-hmm. uh, even though there's 100 guys on my roster, mm-hmm. I'll pick a couple of guys and we'll develop products, then you're on your own. Mm-hmm. So we did, um, when we got the Food Network on the air, the way we got them to do it was agreed not to take any talent fees. Mm-hmm. For I think it was five, mm-hmm. four or five years. Mm-hmm. But we took a commercial in each TV show. So Emerald and I developed um, Emerald Spices, mm-hmm. and we made a fortune on the spices. We still sell the spices. Fantastic. That's where BAM came from. Fantastic. Um, but th- we developed highways, you know, so now chefs, uh, a culinary artist can have, um, you can have his video, you can have his recipe. I just saw Jamie Oliver's doing home delivery systems. Mm-hmm. You can have the fresh food. Mm-hmm. You can cook in a Wolfgang pot. You can wear a, a you know, a, a Roy Choi cooking jacket. You can touch the artist, so now they're being treated like artists. 
and it's all because of you, Mr. Minch. Well, uh, I don't know about that, but I, I help. Yeah, you, you are, you are, you are. I don't even have a word. You're not a Svengali. You're, you're you're a mastermind, and I'm still not. I I, I want I want to pick well, your. Br- we call well, those sick fuck. <laughs> we, well, that's good too. I like a sick fuck. Um, we're we're like kind of out of time. I have one last question for you, but like I feel like I haven't even scratched the surface of your brain. So, Shep, I hope you'll come back because I there's so much more I want to know. I I wish I could be your. I wish I could be your grasshopper. I I. I've, so, is there anything? Do you? Is there anything that you like hope that nobody sees you doing because it kind of do you have a guilty pleasure that's my human I, I have a guilty pleasure but I'm fulfilling one of my pleasures it's an extravaganza this okay. uh, next week I'm going white truffle hunting in Alba you're doing what I'm going white truffle hunting in Alba Italy oh my god I've always wanted to do this wow White truffles are like the most ridiculously expensive thing. Yes. And, and who's uh, taking have, you white truffle hunting? I have a really good friend, Jerry Moss, mm-hmm. um, who has an airplane and said, what do you want to do for your birthday? And he put, we're taking three of my really good friends and we're going white truffle hunting. <laughs> and and where where are white truffles? Like, are they under things? Are yeah, they in uh, things? Yeah, you take you take a pig and they <laughs> dig them out. <laughs> and and it's a, it's a very short season. <laughs> Alba, Italy is where they have the big auction every year. Mm-hmm. And hopefully we hit the right time. Well, Mazel tov. I hope you find many white yeah, truffles. Yeah, thank you. And what, what's your favorite thing to make with truffles? Um, probably just a simple pasta. Nice. Or, or scrambled eggs. Ooh. And then the flavor really comes through. I love it. Well... Sh- Shep, thank you so much, and congratulations. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you, and congratulations, because your book, uh, after a week on the New York Times bestseller list with a bullet, and um, it's been wonderful talking to you. Thank you so much. Thank you. So, Justin, DJ, Wheezy, okay, takeaway with Shep. Um, For me, um, it, it almost makes me cry to say it, but his commitment to being of service and to being happy Wow, overwhelming, Be- right? I yeah. mean, and the fact that he's able he, that he was able to make all of like gazillions of dollars for himself and for all of these people, and to like humanize and 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 celebrate these chefs and make them stars and make them rock stars. He really is the person that made chefs rock stars. Um, to va- to put value on people like that. And to value happiness above the money and yet to still make the money. Right. He really celebrates his passions. Mm-hmm. Yes. And if you're if you can get to a point in your life where your guilty pleasure is white truffle hunting in <laughs> Italy with Jerry Moss, <laughs> then that's you know, that's something you want to strive for. That's a that's a pretty good thing. <laughs> that's a pretty good thing. I, I mean I, Justin, I don't know. What what you th- what do you think of this guy? This guy's amazing. Yeah, he's had a crazy, amazing life, and and just everything that he's gone through is just—I can't even imagine being in some of the situations he's been in. Like cooking for the Dalai Lama was like 
Oh my Crazy. god! Oh my god! Yeah, and, I mean, and then and then making something and having the Dalai Lama make fun of that—he exactly. didn't like it. It's hysterical. The, the human, the humanization of that thing. And then you know, also um, we didn't talk about, but he has this like really famous New Year's Eve party, and like every celebrity, and he knows like every like Mike Myers lived in his house before he he did this documentary when he was like depressed and like Chef like Chef like cooked for him and took care of him. But um, I think you've got kind of. This formula down because you make brownies for Carl <laughs> Reiner. <laughs> there you okay. So all right, but so this is this is why I want to have Shep back. It's because I know how to, I kind of know I understand what he does and why he does it, and yeah. I do it in a small way. But mm-hmm. I have not found the secret to the financial success part. And he didn't give me that answer. I, I kept <laughs> asking him for that answer. I'm still seeking that answer, and I'm not going to rest till he. Till he, it's the secret ingredient. It's <laughs> <laughs> there you go, there you go. And with that, we're gonna say good night and uh, come back next Tuesday night for another edition of the Road Taken. Okay, so you guys, um, you can find me um, on all social media at Vicky Abelson. So that basically works for. Facebook, for Twitter, for Instagram, for Google+. I make it really easy for you to find me. The only hard part is you have to be able to spell my name. No, there's no Y. No, there's no E. V-I-C-K-I and Abelson, not spelt like the word Abel, but it's A-B-E-L-S-O-N. So come out and check me out. Follow me, friend me. I, I, I hate that follow. What is that follow? I'm not Jesus. Don't follow me. Friend me. And, you know, I hate this thing where on social media where they say your your ratio should be way higher for how many people you follow on Twitter than follow you. Like, it's only good if you, like, are followed by, like, 15,000 people, but you only follow three. No. If you follow me, I'm going to follow you back. I want to interact with you. We are friends then. we They might not call it friends on Twitter, but we're then friends. So, anyway, so come find me. Me on social media and I hope to find you back. So Justin, social media, something about Facebook has allowed me to not only have fun and and go back and forth and you know have cute little quips with people but it's really established very strong deep relationships and one of my very first relationships on Facebook was with a guy named Rick Smolke from Addison Illinois and I don't know how we connected all I know is he was seeing what I was doing with women who write at the very beginning. This is when I first started. This is going back eight years ago. And he immediately said, I want to help you. Rick Smokey is a commercial printer. He also does personal printing, you know, from business cards to CD to packaging to signs, calendars. He does all of that stuff. But then I hired him. He did the galleys for my book. He did my bookmarks. He did my signature plates. There, He is my go-to guy. And what I will say about quick impressions is what sets them apart from every other printer is the customer service. They are just the most amazing people. They have graphic artists on there that'll help you design your card. Their prices will match any wholesaler on the internet. They'll get it shipped to you. Their prices are the best. The relationship you will have with them is the best. So what I'm going to suggest is if you have anything you need done, whether it's for your, they do, they do professional football teams. They do huge corporations, the printing. They do huge jobs, but they no job is too small because they're really people. They're people people. They're 
how does, what's that expression? They're people persons. And so if you have anything you need done, please call Quick Impressions. In sh- they're right outside of Chicago, Quick Impressions. And please ask for Rick Smolke. And tell him that Vicky sent you, and I promise he's going to take, they are going to take such good care of you and match any price you'll get anywhere. Quick Impressions, Rick Smokey. And you can find them at quickimpressions.com, and that's quick, Q-U-I-K, no C, quickimpressions.com. Save the C for the Rick and ask for Rick. Oh, Vicky, you're so fine, you're so fine, you blow my mind. Hi, I'm Vicki Abelson. Please join me for The Road Taken, celebrity maps to success for those of us still seeking ours. Tuesdays, 6 p.m. Pacific Time, 8 Central, 9 p.m. Eastern on Conversations Radio Network. 